Ladies and gentlemen, we're doing some sponsored content sponsored by us. <laughs> I almost just opened this being like, hey, Liz, Brace here. Um, well, you know what? We could switch it up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. My name is Liz. I'm Brace. Oh, my God. No, I'm not going to say it. We're, of course, joined by mm, producer Young Chomsky. Uh, and the podcast is called True and On. And this episode of True and On is sponsored by True and On. <laughs> we are joined by... John Vanderslice, uh, we're doing a little ad for our own series that came out about a year ago, uh, a little Young Chomsky joint called Keep the Dream Alive about mm -hmm. Tiny Telephone Studios. Yeah, it's been a year since that project came up, and you know, we've had a ton of new subscribers, thank you very much, in the past year, very cool, we love you, Brace actually capital L loves you. No, I don't. And um, we just thought it would be nice to check in with John, check in with Young Chomsky, and intro you guys who are new to us and to what we do here to this little mini series that he did because it's real special and well we want you guys to listen to it so let's get into it she was back from the bay hundred tabs on the way now delivered on the table i leaned down to check the paper hundred purple suns John, is that a perfect A? <laughs> <laughs> it actually is. That's pure voice right there. That's pure voice right there. We are in the studio, not the actor's studio, not even the singer's studio, but in fact, the musician's studio with John Vanderslice, of course, of the band Vander Graf Generator. Uh, John, how you doing? I'm doing great. I think I'm you're extremely funny, to be honest. <laughs> Don't John. tell him that. Don't give him that. Why, why I really do. They can see my head visibly no. going. <laughs> John, of course, John, not of Vandergraaf Generator. John of John Vanderslice. Yeah, I've and actually Vanderpump never heard that rules. band. I, you know, I haven't heard and I've Vandergraaf never been to the Vander, never been there. It's, the, it's like Krautrock, right? I think, I think it so? sounds proggy to me. You know what? I, may, I might just be saying that because it sounds German, but it's probably Dutch. It's probably Anyways, John, we've got you back in the uh, well in the hole, which is what we call our studio. <laughs> uh, and we're talking; it's been about a year since "Keep the Dream Alive" has come out. What hat? What was that? Tell me, tell me about that. I, I, you know, I never heard it, so this is gonna be my first time. Well, it's <laughs> it's a five episode um, sub pod about a crazy person starting a business. In San Francisco, of which we all know very, very well, oh, yeah. a seven by seven uh, dystopian, uh, beautiful slash hellish and complicated place that unfortunately has been touched with uh, tech money a few too many times. And it's a story of a business blossoming and then uh, getting snuffed out. And that business was Tiny Telephone Recording. Yeah, I mean, I um, this is Young Chomsky here. Hello, uh, you know, I made this this thing with John, and to me, it's like a it's a love story, really. I mean, it's about music, huh. but that just kind of is almost not a hundred percent incidental, but I think it's a little bit incidental. It's about uh, an insane person named John Vanderslice. Can we stop who... calling him insane? He's here with us. <laughs> well, he you knows see? I mean it. 
lovingly. I mean, because you you have to be insane to do something yeah, like 100%. this. Would you? I think John would agree with that. So it's about yeah. a a guy who's a little bit crazy, and he he has this uh this crazy idea that he like will go to any length to see through and that is to open the studio but then there's actual love story within it and it's about um falling in and out of love uh with another person and it's about loss and i just think there's a lot of human drama and i think if you didn't get a chance to listen to it when we put it out last year uh, i think it's still really relevant today well like Bree said i mean it's been about a year since we did put it out and in that time i mean a lot has happened in that time right i mean what can you tell us about what's been going on with you, John, and that in the kind of aftermath of putting out this subpod, as you called it, which I think is very cute, and we should keep that term. I what was very interesting for me is that it actually gave me tons of closure. Um, it, it, like thinking about my life in San Francisco, and really a twenty-year odyssey of building you know, an extremely low profit margin business, a totally illegal, mm-hmm. non-permitted, never paid taxes, you know, barely kind of like visible legally. And mm. and yet something that ha- did have a wider impact um, in music, like the, the, the number, sheer number of records, some of which had a lot of, you know, got a lot of like traction in our own little corner of the music world. Um, and there was something about the process of 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 making you know this like kind of like defining the story i guess and 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 like looking back at it that really helped me resolve some feelings of like maybe failing you know when when you build mm-hmm. something and it get failed i mean we went in there with sledgehammers and knocked down all the walls because our landlord that was the only way we could really um you know, under the terms of what we did in that space, it was basically yeah. like what you did is just like as far as a commercial real estate developer is concerned is worthless. And so now just like just knock, knock all of it out and and like, you know, clean, like clean up this like mess that you made. And at the time it felt like failure. And now it felt like, wow, we I mean, we, you know, we existed there for 20 years in the mission, probably, you know, one of the most expensive and fragile parts of San Francisco. And it felt celebratory at the end of it in in, in the sense that when we were just like pull, taking the U-Haul trucks up the driveway, it felt like a disaster. And now it feels mm. like a gift. I'm very, very happy about the experience now. And it, and it feels like it unwound maybe some, some like existential problems I had with with the whole mess. And I just don't feel that anymore. And thanks to young Chomsky for that. (laughs) You're welcome. How much is that tied up in also your, like, I don't know, we've talked about this, not on the podcast, but just our own kind of like unresolved anxieties about leaving San Francisco. A hundred percent. Like it was, it was such a big deal for me to, you know, I had a lot of ties in Sonoma County. So I I was really like anchored in Northern California and and I think that coming to LA, it wasn't, I don't, still don't feel that it's necessarily um, permanent. So in a way I was like unmoored from like a, mm. a home and I feel like I'm just going to be kind of bouncing around for a little bit. And, you know, San Francisco has for definitely further devolved 
since we left, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So, yeah. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Which is wild and so American. It's just like, how do you, how does this place of all places just become, you know, it has the emptiest downtown of any city in America yeah. and it's, there'll be, you know, books written about what happened to Market Street. I mean, it's insane. It's, you know, I think about too, how like San Francisco was really one of the last, like that whole like San Francisco sound thing. You remember yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. That was really like the last, one of the last, I guess, rock and roll kind of like scenes that really packaged itself as that, yeah. um, to kind of come out before whatever's going on with the modern musical landscape happened. Right. Like, yeah. you know, it was like pre Spotify, pre all that stuff. Um, and that really just like, I mean, of all those bands, I think only like Ty and the OCs are still around. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was really like that, that, that was kind of it. That was like the last like moment of that kind of music. Like, you know, when kind of records were back and people were playing music and it was like, you know, there's the internet and it was like, like 2011, 2010, 2012 or whatever. But, um, after that, it just completely like the entire musical landscape changed, especially bands like that really would, I think, have a hard time making it as big as they did uh, in today with, you know, with, with the way essentially music is marketed. Yeah, 100 percent. Definitely. And they were located. Those were San Francisco bands like it. Yeah, like yeah. it read to people as, you know, it was a regional thing. And I don't I don't even know if that would even resonate now. No, no, not at all. It's kind of glo it's globalized now as you always say you're always i mean it's crazy because you always do talk about the globalists and how they're <laughs> the record industry and it's just like i finally get what you're saying uh, john i'm kidding of course but john it's been about a year since the uh since the series came out what is, what has changed what's new what's going on well i live in los angeles i am now just i just make my own records i almost really don't travel up to the bay area i still own Tiny Telephone Oakland, and that's really how I live because I'm definitely would have to be probably working more. I mean, I don't really work, so you know, the mm -hmm. studio also is 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 really important to me for that. But um, I just make my own records. I have a record coming out in April, April 14th. I'm doing three tours this year. I've been really just focused on my own music, and that was another wonderful kind of like thing that happened with the studio closing is that so much of my time and energy was being like drained out by like really just running a business and and like I knew so much about like light bulbs and like mm -hmm. paper towels and like you know like I I I had a whole like corner of my tech room that had like screws so I had like all these metric screws <laughs> I mean I just knew all this like small like kind of like janitorial and yeah. you know like plant stuff and it was amazing to let all of that stuff go john one of the kind of subplots of the series was about your relationship with live performance right so you you kind of started very modestly and then rose to some success traveling the world playing shows and then there's kind of a climactic moment that i won't spoil but i think is a is a fun story and then you kind of totally gave up on touring and then you had another kind of epiphany later and you came back to it in a different way and so now you're going back on the road again and i think it's been a little while since you've done a real tour so like what are your yeah. feelings about going on tour right now and how how does that compare to how you used to approach it it's interesting because i think that um you know someone i think there's there's some really interesting like stuff to mine in what's happening with live performance. I mean, you've basically had 
companies like uh, Live Nation that have like they've been trying yeah. to like vertically vertically integrate clubs. So they've been buying up super small rooms. So like you know you drive down Sunset and you pass the Echo and you the think Echo. oh. Yeah, it's yeah. insane. It's owned by Live Nation, and when there's you a look fucking at their, there's a metal detector out front. It's crazy, and they search your shoes at El Rey. It's like there's there's like been a bummerfication that's happened along every single step of like club life, and also with that, every single touring band I know, their margins just fall. Oh, yeah. Every single tour, their margins fall. So they're touring, they're either bleeding a trust fund out. Or they are the 0.1% and they just yeah. blew the fuck up, you know, and there's no other way around this. And so for me, like I stopped really club touring in 2013, 2014, because it was just simply impossible to me. This is when I was scamming hotels for $45 hotel rooms because I was like an, you know, like an influencer. I had this great scam going forever. It was amazing. But that's over. Gas is way more expensive. Insurance for touring now, like, you have to actually have, like, proper insurance insurance if you tour because it's such a weird gray area. You know, people get sued. There's, like, five people in a van. No one's wearing seatbelts because yeah. t- two of them are sleeping. So mm-hmm. I just don't really know how any, any like, Econo line or Chevy Express is, like, driving across the 80 without losing 20 grand. Like, there's just no way. So I had to recast touring as, like, I mean, at first my friends would make fun of me. I was like, oh, I'm just going to play living rooms, you know, and it's just, it just sounds yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And then I kind of leaned into it like, yeah, I, I'm, every artist gets smaller in time. That's just going to happen. And how are you going to deal with it? Or is this simply vanity? Are you actually like working class person that has to make money? I don't have parents. I don't, not only do I not have parents that have money, I don't have parents. Like I don't have anything. So I have to like find a way to actually go out there and make you know, middle-class money touring. And the only way is like taking your own Subaru out there and playing living rooms. That's it. And taking clubs and Live Nation out. It's funny. Like, Brace and I were just talking this week about how we should do an episode on the, like, radical changes that have occurred in the music industry over the past, like, 20 years. I mean, you could take it from, I mean, really, like, at any level of the industry, whether it's, like, at, you know, streaming, if it's at, you know, record deals, if it's at performing, if it's at any other kind of, at just, like, the, I mean, I hate saying it, but, like, the quality and, like, availability of, like, actual, like, new music. Like, all of it it has completely and totally degraded and become really, really impossible, not just for like anyone like to make a living. I mean, making a living as a working artist, whether that's as a, you you know, a musician, a painter, an artist, a dancer, you know, whatever it is, is like, has been impossible for a very long time. Although it's like increasingly, it's just, even on the margins now, it's impossible. It seems like. And so people, it's funny, people complain about the art that gets produced. They get, they complain about the films that get produced. They complain about the music that gets produced. It's all just like TikTok algorithm songs or, you know, whatever it is, even for small bands, when that's like literally the only way for any musician to make any money, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? You know, whereas like to even just go out and play music for, you know, five, six, 700 people, just 200 people is taking a massive loss. How, how is anyone going to do it? And then how's the music even going to get created in the first place then? Right. 
It's it's crazy. And the fuel, it's just an MLM. Like the fuel yeah. is it is it is trust funds. Like that's what's that's that's like if we if you were to walk in like in Brooklyn and just you know, just like go stand outside like of a, a rehearsal place and watch bands come in and out, you'd be like, these these kids all went to like nice schools like you know what i mean these this is a moneyed class well if you ever did that i would love to be like the back end person that i would open my books and i would show you what's crazy is i would show you what's happened since like let's say 2004 yeah. to today like in 2004 the standard support you know act was getting 250 a show that was like standard so if billions or like high road or you know even CAA, if you were like asked by a big booking agency to open up for a huge band on tour, you would get 250 flat. It's the same exact rate as today. That's what you get today. So we're talking like 15, 17 years, 18 years of flat wages and every the, the, the expenses of touring. Sorry, there's a cat that just broke in here. Do you want me to get rid <laughs> no, of this No, no, it's cat? fine. If, you, you no, can hear, it's... if Listeners, if you can hear the little jingle, that's the bell on the cat's neck. So that it's it's remarkable. So whoever is standing now in this kind of like field is either monomaniacal beyond belief, or they are just simply, um, you know, they're they're losing you know fifty to a hundred thousand dollars a year for the pleasure of saying that they do music. You know, it's 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 really un it's unreasonable. You know. Yeah, I, I what you say about. The, the pay for opening bands is I remember when, when friends of mine, you know, would play these like giant shows, you know, with like thousands and thousands and thousands of people for there opening up for these bands. And they'd be like, yeah, we got like equivalent of like $50 a person. Yeah. Before expenses. Before expenses. I mean, it's like insane. Cap it's so crazy. Yeah. It's but crazy. even, 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 you know, I, I, you know, uh, just coming from, from, I guess the music world, I knowing people who to tour for a living, like even just the margins of like a headlining act, like even a decently big, big headlining yeah. act has just like plummeted. Yeah. Like, basically. like the OCs, it's not easy for any band. That's what's crazy is that even the winners are getting like pinched. And, mm -hmm. you know, you look at it like how much, like, let's say a sprinter van costs, yeah. you know, if it's really modified to be a touring vehicle, it might be 70 or 80 grand. This is insane. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. It's insane. We're also so you're going on tour. Where can people find out about the tour? Uh, I'm. I only really post on Instagram, and which, by the way, never stop posting on Instagram. <laughs> Thank John's you. Instagram is great legendary. Great Instagram stories. Great finder of memes. I, I am a poster of memes. I'm a motivated shit poster. I've been a, really yeah. obsessed with TikTok now, and I just feel like sure. I'm just kind of like dumping good TikTok stuff. But yeah, thank you for that. I, I really enjoy <laughs> it, and and I uh, I've kind of embraced the the idiocy of like being on Instagram. So they can find it there. John Vanderslice is the Instagram. Yeah, yeah. What's the new album called? It's called Crystals 3.0. And that is a my favorite acid vendor on the dark web <laughs> um, called, uh, in, in, <laughs> called <laughs> Instrument. And uh, he had devised this like genius method of making like ultra pure acid that he called, uh -huh. well, his first version was Crystals 2.0. And then after a couple of years, he graduated to, he graduated to Crystals 3.0. And I, the first time I saw that on a, on a drug listing, I was like, 
that's the name of my new record. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Uh, you can catch Keep the Dream Alive actually on the True and On feed. And uh, you can catch John's new album. When does it come out? Uh, April 14th, Ruination April f- Day. Ruination Day? Yeah, it's when the Titanic sank, uh, Lincoln got shot. Like, there's like a hundred horrible things that happen on this day. Good God. And uh, True and On, if you want to see us, we are at April 15th at the Far Out Lounge in Texas. John, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Absolutely my pleasure. I, I love I love all of you. Love. Small word, alcohol, big word, too small. Well, we've got the link to the series in the description, link in bio, Classico style. And it's five parts, and we think you should really check it out. So here's a little taste of it. And we'll see you next time. I was at a a friend's house when I was in seventh grade. And my friend played me a Kinks record. I remember flipping the back of the record over and seeing Ray Davies from the Kinks leaning over a Neve console. That's when I first started thinking that recording studios were potentially very, very important to artists. And that was the beginning for me. I started playing in my first band when I was 24. I'd never been in a band before. So I was working in restaurants and I eventually decided that I needed to get a warehouse with my friends and make it like a rehearsal place. I basically said that art is sacred and art needs patrons. And she said, I've decided to rent you the space. Well, that was like, if you give me like an open door, I'm in, I'm fucking there. And so we slowly started building the infrastructure of a recording studio. I remember thinking, I can do this. This can actually be a business. I was asked by a noise pop, which is like a local San Francisco festival. So I said yes. And the Mountain Goats were the third band. I had a promo copy of Mass Suicide Occult Figurines. There was a song on it called Bill Gates Must Die, which, by the way, he actually must die. After the show, Darnell came up to me from Mountain Goats, and he was like, hey, that was really good. And he said, hi, this is John Vanderslice in San Francisco. I said, okay, look, that is not your real name. <laughs> but that was that was the beginning. But yeah, so we went out on, on a pretty punishing tour, uh, and those punishing tours are places where people bond. Breathe.